welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Jose Estigarraga, Global Head of Reed Smith's International Arbitration Practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights, and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to part two of the interview with Claudia Solomon as she is about to commence her presidency of the ICC International Court of Arbitration. Claudia, again, thank you for this opportunity to visit with you and to hear your thoughts as you are about to begin your presidency. We ended part one talking about the three biggest challenges facing international arbitration. And you mentioned that uh, Alexei had focused on three drivers, uh, those being diversity, ethics, and transparency as key issues for uh, international arbitration. And I wanted to ask you then with respect to your personal views as to the three biggest challenges facing our international arbitration, do you see them as the same ones or are there particular angles or, or dimensions that you might put on the drivers that uh, that we've talked about now. What is your perspective personally on the question of the biggest challenges facing international arbitration? Well, certainly the ICC court as a leader in international arbitration has been a leader in the promotion of arbitration as uh, effective means of resolving disputes. So I think there is the challenge of continuing to promote arbitration. Of course, we are in an environment now in which there are a proliferation of arbitral institutions, and I would say a proliferation of increased expectations of the parties to it in an international arbitration. And it is our challenge to assure that the arbitration process meets or exceeds their expectations. Over the last 25 years, certainly of my career, the legal services industry has undergone a tremendous transformation to focus on client service. You know, we don't issue invoices anymore that say fee for service. Of course, we have to provide details. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, the tip of the iceberg of client service. Uh, because now there's a competitive legal market. It is really imperative for international arbitration, all aspects of international arbitration, not just the outside counsel to the parties, but all aspects of international arbitration to have this client mindset and to essentially focus on the expectations and service of the parties that are in the dispute. Got it. Got it. Got it. And you, you mentioned that, you know, many arbitration institutions springing up and, and so on. Claudia, to what degree do you feel that this represents competition for the, for the ICC? Uh, where do you see all that shaking out? One of the things that I've perceived in terms of the fact that there are many arbitration institutions, some regional, some local, but in fact competing for significant cases, um, it has been in, in a way that it is not allowed for uh, sort of the 
uh, rallying around best practices. Obviously, the IBA has uh, you know, enacted uh, its proposals and it's done its excellent work in terms of rules and guidelines and so on. But you know, to some degree, uh, I'm finding that there are local institutions, local practices, regional institutions, regional practices that in a way are almost setting up competitive barriers. And I'm wondering, is that something that you have seen or how do you think that that will play out? My task as president of the ICC court, or I would say my focus as president of the ICC court, is that moment when parties are entering into a dispute resolution clause and entering into their contract. And they have to make that decision. Are they going to choose arbitration or some other method of dispute resolution, litigation, or something else? And if they're choosing arbitration, what is it that is going to make them say, we must use ICC arbitration rather than some other arbitral institution's rules that could be a legitimate choice? I believe that there will be a convergence of best practices over time. I do believe the service that the ICC provides, both in terms of case management and its unique function in terms of the scrutiny of awards, is second to none. And so that will be an important aspect of that decision-making process, as well as the connections that the parties feel to the ICC, that the ICC represents something more than just an arbitral institution, that the ICC represents their values and that they feel a connection to the ICC. That in that moment of crisis, when the company is in a dispute, they will think of the ICC as their essential partner. You bet. Interesting. You know, it, you've talked about the ICC, you know, wanting to be responsive and needing to be responsive and, and, and to, to the parties and so on. And one of the things that has stood out to me, and, and I already mentioned that you had co-chaired the task force on financial institutions, has been the ICC's work on task forces. I you know, had the privilege, as you know, recently of co-chairing one of those task forces. And I'm wondering, do you have in mind, and I know that it's the commission ultimately that decides on this, but I'm saying from your perspective, do you have any uh, visions or, or ideas for any new task forces for the ICC commission? I do think the commission on arbitration and ADR is such a valuable global think tank. You know, it brings together leaders of international arbitration from truly around the globe and has published various reports and done studies and analysis on really essential and cutting edge issues. And the task force that you chaired or co-chaired, witness memory and witness testimony to me is just absolutely interesting, vital, and true thought leadership given the that there hasn't been any uh, such analysis in the field of arbitration and it is going to change the way council parties and arbitrators think about 
the evidence in arbitration. So first of all, congratulations in that respect. Thank you for the privilege of, of having participated. I do think that there's going to be some very important work done by the commission and new task forces. I'm very focused on diversity broadly defined and know that the commission will play an important role in assuring that the ICC is really a leader in that regard. And more information on that will come out after July 1st. Mm, interesting. All right. That's a teaser, right? They call it in the movie business, exactly. right? Exactly. So, all right. Well, folks, you know, stay tuned so we can stay hear more. Stay tuned. Claire, some very practical questions here. Uh, do you intend to change the functioning of the secretariat? Anything that you envision? Or, you know, if the wagon's not broken, don't, fi- you know, don't fix it. But, you know, you never know. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? We have to assure, as I was describing, that the service provided by the secretariat really not only meets but exceeds the party's expectations that we are incredibly responsive, that there is great communication between the parties and the secretariat. And so that, given the new tools, new technologies, evolving expectations, we, of course, can't stand still in that respect. And In particular, I am focused on assuring that we continue to hear from the parties about their experience in the international arbitration that has been administered by the ICC. So we know what went well, what they might wish could be different, and make sure that we are attuned to those reactions in real time. Thank you, Claudia. I would say one, well, just one other piece I would add is I am very focused, as I've described, on this client mindset. And connected to that is engaging the parties and enabling the parties to be more engaged. And what I think of as something that is really quite simple but can have a significant impact is inviting the in-house counsel or business representatives in addition to outside counsel to be copied directly on all communication from the secretariat and encouraging tribunals to do the same so that the in-house lawyers or business representatives are getting these communications in real time. I think that has a impact on the communication. It will have an impact on the clarity of communication. And it enables the parties to kind of have their perspectives heard and considered much more significantly. Very good. Th- thank you, uh, Claudia. Again, very consistent with your orientation of, uh, of, of client service. We'll look forward to hearing more as to how, how you would carry that out. We want to be respectful of, uh, of, of your time. Thank you so much for, for sharing it. I, I'm going to basically focus in on, on just two last questions. Sure. Um, and that is virtual hearings and the, the use of Zoom and other platforms, international arbitration. I don't think anyone is suggesting that we will, you know, once quote, COVID is over that, you know, we will 
forget about video conferences and things like that. I don't think it's a question. The question is, to what degree, if you set the, the meter, if you would, to what degree are we going back to the old days, lots of in-person hearings and so on, and to what degree do you think that we will really be uh, relying on you know, the technology and uh, virtual platforms uh, in, in arbitration? So I realize it's a matter of degree, obviously, but you know, where would you set the, the needle, if you had to say? As we emerge from the pandemic and hopefully truly emerge from the pandemic around the globe, although obviously so many people are suffering at this time too, we are not going back to the way it was. We're actually in, in my view, a pivotal moment of history where we have to take the learnings of the experience that we've had during the pandemic and in this horrific time, identify what adaptations we've made that we then can take with us into this next phase. I think in the context of a world in which we haven't been able to travel We have, for example, all been essentially disabled. We have recognized that counsel and participants in arbitration can engage in the process, even if they can't physically be somewhere. And in a context before the pandemic, when we used to think, well, we're not efficient if we're not working eight hours a day or we're not in a hearing eight hours a day at least. And now everyone recognizes that sitting in front of a screen for that long may just not be workable. We recognize that there is room for adaptation for people's personal circumstances. And I hope that we are able to take those learnings from this experience and be more inclusive of a wide variety of circumstances that people find themselves in either physically or mentally, because we have a recognition that diversity is broadly defined, and this will also include people from disabilities. So kind of to your specific question about remote arbitrations, I think what this pandemic has done is made us recognize that we can work remotely if needed. We can be accommodating of a wide variety of circumstances. And we're going to the presumption that we have to be physically present has shifted or flipped. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to want to be physically together for evidentiary hearings, for other types of hearings and other types of meetings, but we're going to be conscious about the circumstances in which we need to be together. Very, very interesting. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said, and uh, unfortunately, we, we don't have time, but uh, <laughs> you know, again, we'll treat that as a teaser for perhaps a future conversation, uh, you know, including studies, as you know, because I just dealt with the issue of witness memory and, and so on. There is some question as to to what degree the medium that we are using to uh, communicate, transmit, in the case of a witness to testify and so on, is affecting the perception on the part of the arbitrators 
with respect to the veracity of the testimony and so on. So my, my point being that there's a, a, there's a lot that we don't know we don't know with respect to the medium that this new world that in effect that, that we're in. Well, I'll, I'll wrap up by asking you a, a question because this week I, I saw a report that of statistics that talked about Singapore now being sort of the, the number one seat and, uh, and so on. I don't know if by chance you saw that report, mm-hmm. but you have any thoughts? And, and obviously I could bring in London with Brexit and so on. What is your view in terms of seats and the impact of the evolution, if you would, of, of arbitration and, and how it, it, it affects international arbitration and, and the ICC? In 2020, I think arbitrations, ICC arbitrations took place in 65 countries and over 100 different cities. I expect those numbers to continue to increase as the legal framework in more countries and localities evolve to be arbitration friendly. I think we will see more arbitrations taking place around the globe. And in a context in which we are seeing so much regional trade and disputes arising, not just east-west or north-south, but disputes within a particular region, now we see a tremendous number of disputes arising within Asia between parties, all Asian parties, or all Latin American parties, that those parties are recognizing or determining that an arbitration can and should be seated closer to both of those parties. Now, of course, in a circumstance in which you have parties literally from around the globe, they may choose to have a viable seat in some neutral location, but in a context in which the dispute or the contracts are really regional, then I think we're going to see a continued increase of the number of seats. Proliferation. Very interesting, Claudia. Especially your your observation, indeed, because I've seen it in Latin America about the increase of, you know, intra-region parties and therefore just made it much more sort of logical, acceptable to an effect, oh, let's have a seat, say, in in Latin America and so on. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Well, Claudia, we are, uh, again, out of respect for your time, I want to thank you. But before I I do that, I just wanted to ask you, uh, you have the microphone, any sort of last message you would want to share with our, our listeners? Well, I would just really thank Alexi Moore for all the tremendous work that he has done as president of the ICC court and the tremendous amount of support he has had for me during this transition period. I'm really grateful for that and for the strength he's put the ICC in. And with that, I'll just thank you and Reed Smith for hosting me. I think these podcasts are a tremendous innovation and a great way to connect with a wide variety of people and companies and parties and your clients. And it's just really a pleasure and honor to be a part of it. Well, Claudia, 
Thank you, but truly thanks go in the other direction. Uh, again, it's just uh, such a, a pleasure and, and privilege for us to be able to have this time to uh, have you speak to, to our listeners and to share these thoughts with you. My very heartfelt congratulations to you on this phenomenal accomplishment. The many eyes on you and with great, great sense of the, the wonderful leadership that we know we, you will provide and, and we'll be watching and, uh, and rooting for you. So thank you for sharing this time with us. Thank you so much. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email Garaga at jia at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.